Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 751 with Ryan Jenkins. Ryan is sharing how to decrease loneliness and increase belonging for yourself, for your team, and the cool benefits that flow when you make the effort to do just that. So you'll learn, one, why you can still feel lonely around other people, two, just how loneliness is harming our health and productivity, and three, the simplest thing you can do now to feel less lonely. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, please visit us at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP751 and check out some goodies at awesomeatyourjob.com like full text searchable transcripts, the gold nugget email summaries, and so much more at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here is Ryan's story. Ryan Jenkins, CSP, is an internationally recognized keynote speaker and three-time published author. He speaks all over the world to companies such as State Farm, Salesforce, Wells Fargo, John Deere, and more. For a decade, he has been helping organizations create engaged, inclusive, and high performing teams by lessening worker loneliness and closing generational gaps. Ryan's top-ranked insights have been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and the Wall Street Journal. He is also the co-founder of LessLonely.com, the world's first resource fully dedicated to reducing worker isolation and strengthening team connections. Ryan lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, three children, and a yellow Labrador. Big thanks to Ryan for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Ryan. Ryan, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thanks for having me, Pete. Well, I'm excited to get into your wisdom, but first I need to know, since you visited all 50 states in the United States here, is there one that you think is underrated or overrated that you want to share your hot take with? I like them all, to be honest, and I feel so Even New lucky. Jersey? No offense, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the most underrated? I guess I'd I'd say Alaska and New York because I think personally every time I go to New York I'm always taken back by just how specifically large New York City is it always takes my breath away and then Alaska is just it's my favorite state it's so beautiful and it takes my breath away for a completely different reason so those are two standouts in my mind that's cool you've uh, got quite the quite the stretch and we're talking about loneliness imagine. I don't know. You could be lonely in Alaska or New York City. Tell us, maybe before we get into all the particulars, is there a specific discovery you've made about in your loneliness research that's really surprising or, or counterintuitive to you? Yeah, I think yeah, you mentioned you can be lonely in New York. You could also be lonely in Alaska. And that's true. And that correlates to one of the, probably the most 
thing that rings true or stands out to folks the most, which is the definition of loneliness. And loneliness isn't the absence of people, it's the absence of connection. So I could be in a busy city like New York City and be surrounded by people constantly, but still feel isolated and alone. Vice versa, you could be in Alaska surrounded by nobody, but feel not feel isolated and feel very connected to other things. So again, it's not the absence of people, it's the absence of connection. And so that always kind of uh, gets people to start thinking it. That's true. And that's probably why there's certain times of your life or certain areas of your life or your day that you feel more connected and less lonely. And then other times you feel very alone. And so that's probably what stands out the most in my mind and what gets people pondering the deepest. Mm-hmm. And so when you say connected, I guess I'm thinking connected to people, but are, are there other flavors of connection that you're thinking here? Yeah, great question. Yeah. And the, the reason I wanted to attack work with loneliness and specifically address workplace loneliness is I thought the workplace was the best place to eradicate or help to lessen loneliness amongst individuals. And so if you think about work, there's a lot of connection points, right? There's connection to oneself. There's connection to your team members. There's connection to a leader. There's connection to your work. There's connection to a purpose or the organizational culture. So there's all kinds of different flavors and in your words of connections. And so if we start thinking about it from that standpoint, um, we really start to get a better understanding of all these different points that we have to nurture in order to feel less isolated in today's very isolating world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so then I'm curious, can you sort of give us the state of affairs with regard to the research? So how widespread is the the state of loneliness? I guess there's, I guess probably everybody feels lonely at some point. Uh, but uh, so maybe I don't know if it's monthly or weekly or however you've, you've got it sliced and diced. Like how, how widespread is loneliness? How deep is loneliness amongst those who are who are feeling it? And and just how how big of a deal is that? Is it just sort of like, well, yeah, everyone feels lonely sometimes. You know, that's part of being human. Versus, is it really bad news? <laughs> all of the above, really. And uh, you know, loneliness is a universal human condition. We all experience it. And the reason why it's stuck with us for so long is because loneliness help was helpful. And it continues. Is. It's a useful emotion. That's why we still carry it throughout humanity. Think about our ancestors who roamed the plains. When you were excluded, when you're isolated from a group, your survival rate plummeted. There was literally strength in numbers. We could pool our resources. We could watch each other's backs. We could strategize and socialize to take down woolly mammoths to create some warm, fuzzy slippers. Right? There was, there was strength in numbers and there was safety in numbers. And so when we get excluded from a group our body goes into fight or flight mode. And that's why it's such an important conversation. And then, especially as we think about how to be awesome at our job is we have to understand how to fill our cup up and how to, how to boost our connections and nurture these connections. Because if not, we're in flight or fight mode and we're not able to fully show up at work. So back to your question, it's a universal human condition. And according to our research, we surveyed over 2000 global workers and 72% of them say that they experience loneliness at least monthly with 55% saying they experience it at least weekly. And that's all across the organization, individual contributors to executives. Loneliness is no respecter of person. It's a universal human condition. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm curious in your survey, did you, I don't know if you can recall any particular word choices, but did you say just, Hey, did you feel lonely or lack of connection or, or, how are we, how are we wording that? I wonder. 
Yeah. No, we asked, we asked folks, how often do you experience loneliness? And we did our best to give them a little bit of context on how we defined loneliness. But it's, it's a tricky emotion. We experience a lot of emotions. It's hard to pinpoint. And even today, the, the, the science around loneliness is really, really new. It's pretty extraordinary. Uh, it's only till the last five to six years that we really kind of really start to unpack it and figure out where it shows up in the brain. I think part of the reason is loneliness has just been shrouded in shame. So even the neuroscientists and psychologists don't want to touch it. <laughs> but that's changing, which is really exciting. Because again, it, it can be useful. It's, our, it's literally our biological cue that we belong together and we're better together. So yeah, we try to give them the best idea of kind of what connection was so that they could effectively evaluate when and where they were experiencing feelings of isolation. But it's hard to pinpoint if does loneliness come first and then does that lead to depression or does depression come first and that leads to isolation and loneliness? Do we get burned out that leads to loneliness? You know, it's really hard to say which comes first and Hopefully, as humanity becomes more open to talk about loneliness, we all get a, become a little bit more aware and start being a little bit more in tune with ourselves on how we assess it and when and where we feel lonely, and then also being able to identify in others so that we can draw people in. Because the tricky thing about loneliness is that when we feel lonely, we do the exact opposite of what we should be doing. We turn inward instead of turning outward, and we just start to uh, we start to go more inward, and we begin. Tr- distrusting more folks and we become more, we become less and less approachable. So it's just a, it's a vicious cycle that creates a a downward spiral. And so that's why it's really important that all of us come together and really start to, to, to pull each other in and identify where folks might be feeling disconnected. Yeah, well, yeah, that that part really resonates because, you know, I moved from Chicago to the, uh, just outside the Nashville area. And, uh, you know, I do miss a lot of my great friends there and have felt some more loneliness here. So anyone in the area, you can contact me, <laughs> peterawesomeatyourjob.com. But to that point, it, it, it does resonate. It's like, sometimes if I feel lonely, I feel, for me, it's sort of like, it's like I'm not quite at my best in terms of being, because I'm also not feeling like, it's not really dramatic in, in terms of depression, but it's sort of like, you know what, I don't really, I don't really feel all that, you know, funny, witty, fun, interesting, engaging. I don't really know if I want to show up to a thing in this condition. You know, I want to put, I want to put my best foot forward, you know, making first impressions and connections and, and have people think like, oh, this B guy is awesome. I want to hang out with him again, as opposed to, oh yeah, he kind of, he was sort of lame. I don't really care to spend any more time <laughs> with him. And so, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of where my brain goes. And so, so that point really does resonate in terms of when we're feeling lonely, it can be, we can look inward and that's problematic. And, and I think Sean Acor discussed some of this exact phenomenon in, in the happiness advantage. And so you're reminding me of awesome stuff. So let's make sure, I want to make sure we don't move too quickly past the notion of, of the dangers of, of loneliness. And so we have some links or associations or correlations to depression, to more, I guess you said, kind of limbic amygdala, fight or flight type stuff, stress things. I, any cool experiments that come to mind in terms of, oh, hey, we we subjected uh, lonely and non-lonely people to a stress and, and there's here's what went down. There's a number of studies that we put a lot of them in the book and there's just, it's also fascinating. I'll, I'll share a few of them. One is they took, um, there was this one experiment happening where they were actually trying to figure out um, how mice were reacting to cocaine. Sounds like a good time. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually where they decided, where they found out the 
kind of how the brain processes loneliness. And so they began experimenting and isolating mice. And they found that, you know, the more that we isolate mice, the more that they crave connection. And not surprising, that's the same with humans as well. Um, another really interesting research I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with is the Harvard University study around adult development. It's the longest study ever, uh, continuous study of adult development. It's gone on for 80 years. It's still going on, which is incredible that there's enough funds and enough staff has stuck around to, to keep this uh, study going. But now they've studied over 2,000 people. And according to the director, the definitive answer to a long and healthy life after this longest study ever done in adult development is quality relationships. So it's essentially our connections. And study after study after study just reveals how detrimental it is to the human body. And I think we're just now starting to realize that we need this more and more. And, you know, a silver lining in the pandemic was that it pulled the curtain back. We all experienced it. We perhaps couldn't put our finger on it. And now we're ready to talk about this. And I think we're all in a good position to start absorbing some more of this new uh, research and insights on how to better establish and nourish our connections. One other study I think it would be helpful for your listeners, Pete, and it is uh, recently they did an experiment where they uh, excluded people. And they, so they put them through an experience of exclusion and they monitored their brain and their brain lit up, of course, not surprising, but where their brain lit up was super fascinating and insightful. And they actually discovered that the same part of the brain that registers physical pain is the same part of the brain that registers exclusion. So that's what's really important. And that's really the research that really got me super interested in this because so many of the audiences that I talk to and organizations I serve, trying to get them to understand some of these, these concepts so that they can create more engaged, healthier, and higher performing organizations the topic of loneliness seems like a very soft topic, but in reality, if we don't address this, that means we've got folks showing up to work that literally that the pain part of their their brain is lighting up and they're not able to fully show up so that they can deliver exceptional work and show up for their teammates and deliver for clients and customers. So that's why it's important for all of us, whether you're an individual contributor or you're a, a leader, a manager, is we've got to understand this so that we can lessen loneliness and get people to show up more fully at work. And that creates healthier individuals and ultimately higher performing organizations. And you could probably tell in my voice, I'm excited about this conversation and it's no longer a soft one. It's really a dire one. And it's not that difficult to overcome. We've just got to be aware of it and then equip ourselves with some intentional tools to, to pick away at it. Okay. And that's basically what your book Connectable is, is trying to do here, or how would you articulate the core message or thesis? Yeah, it's three parts. The first part, we talk about loneliness. We we give our readers a better understanding of the science of it and how it's impacting work specifically. Part two is we unpack belonging and how that's the, the nemesis of loneliness and how that's the antidote to loneliness. We talk about you know why humans need belonging and then how we can start thinking about that in the context of work. And then the third and final part is all actionable strategies. So we created a four-step framework that folks can use to help lessen loneliness in themselves or the, the team around them, whether they're involved in that team or they're leading that team. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and, and so then I'm curious, when you mentioned earlier the loneliness being a complicated sort of a thing in, in terms of like the, the human experience of emotions is, is broad and multifaceted and so many layers. Are there any maybe clues or indicators or, or signs that you might highlight for us to tune into in terms of, oh, wait a minute, 
Maybe you're lonely. For example, I remember once I got dumped, it was a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was just before I went to San Diego for an event with Pat Flynn. And it was really cool. The one day business breakthrough. And I remember Pat was so cool as to uh, serve Chipotle burritos uh, for the lunch at the event. And I was chowing down, had a big old burrito. And then had a bunch of chips and queso. And I thought I was still hungry. I was like, that's really weird. Usually this sets plenty of food, you know, for lunch for me to not feel hungry. And yet I'm still hungry. He's like, oh, wait, I'm not hungry. I just feel empty inside. Sad face. And then, oh, <laughs> and then no. they proceeded to give me brutal feedback about my, <laughs> my business, which needed to be shut down. It was fine. It was helpful. Thank you, guys. So I- anyway, I-, I guess I share that story, not to make everyone feel sad and feel sorry for me, but to, to share that sometimes it can fly under the radar. It's like, we don't even know that we're lonely. So are there any things you might sort of highlight for us? Like, oh, if these are the kinds of things that are going on, you may, in fact, be lonely. Yes. And not to be promotional, this is just a free tool that you can use that we created. It's If you go to lesslonely.com, you scroll all the way to the bottom, we have a free assessment. It takes two minutes. It's 10 questions that's been statistically validated, empirically validated to actually assess how connected you are to those around you. So that can be step one where you can actually test, you know, test yourself and get a, a, a score as to are you feeling lonely or how connected really are you? So that would be step one. Step two is, you know, specifically in the book, we looked at 10 identifiers that show up in the workplace. So you can think about these, you know, for yourself, or you can start thinking about these as folks in in, in your organization or on your team. Because again, if we're lonely, we tend to retreat. Um, and so it's up to all of us. We're only as we're only as unified as our loneliest team members. So it's up to all of us to kind of be aware of some of these cues. So I won't go through all 10 of them, but I'll give you a few here, Pete. One is the idea of lack of learning and development, right? If you kind of, if your curiosity is waning or your your growth mindset, you know, you don't have that growth mindset like you had, that's kind of a good indicator. If you have limited participation in training, disdain for extracurricular activities, you're not asking questions, right? That could be a subtle indicator. If you skip or resent meetings, right? That's a pretty good indicator as well because lonely people avoid others. So if you find yourself not apologizing for being late or you keep your camera off all the time during virtual meetings, or if you're just generally being disgruntled during meetings, that could be a subtle signifier. And then I think the one that keeps that perhaps is the most shocking to folks or perhaps the most unexpected in the last one I'll give you is excessive working, right? Someone that's spending too much time working as a way to avoid personal responsibilities can certainly point to an imbalance in social relationships. So if you're volunteering for too many projects, you're piling up your vacation days, you're returning emails late at night, these are all subtle indicators that you might be, you know, intentionally going into overdrive to avoid other people. Mhm. Okay. Well, so if we find ourselves in such a spot, what do we do? How do we get more of this belonging antidote going on? Yeah, I think what the first step and we highlight in the book is to look at loneliness. And so being involved in a conversation like this, listening to this, you know, you could check that box. It's really kind of being aware that this is a growing epidemic and we need to better understand it if we're going to get our arms around it. If you were a psychologist, you probably heard the statement, awareness is curative. So we first got to be aware of this problem. And, and then the second step, I'm not sure we'll go through all four here, but the second step is clearly just to invest in connections. 
And one of the ways that we encourage in the book is to create safe, uh, safe spaces, right? To pursue psychological safety. Because the number one burning question in all of us, in all of humanity, that, that is research tells us our brain is asking it five times per second. And that core question of humanity is, am I safe? Our bodies are constantly asking that. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? So for most of the time, it's unconscious, but our body is aware that, you know, our surroundings and if we're safe or not. And, you know, we've got to start creating those spaces at work. If we, again, we want people to fully show up because if, if we want to quiet that voice in our head, that's constantly saying, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? We've got to create these safe spaces. And one way to do that is to create proportional conversations. So if, if you find yourself talking too much and stepping over the conversation of other people, dial it back. If you find yourself not talking at all, it's time to start speaking up a little bit. And specifically for leaders, this is for leaders, they can really start to help kind of orchestrate this. But according to research, Google did a Project Aristotle a few years ago, and they found, they wanted to study all these teams to figure out what was the core element that makes up successful teams. And they found that it was psychological safety. And the basis of that was take, having proportional conversations. And it draws right back to loneliness, right? If you're on a team and you just, you don't feel like your voice is heard and you don't feel seen on that team, then of course you're going to retreat and you're not going to put your best work forward. So it's up to all of us to start creating these spaces, but specifically for leaders too, they have a, they have a great responsibility to start creating space where these proportional conversations uh, can be had. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's interesting is I, you think about proportional conversations, I'm visualizing a pizza now, I'm like okay. saying, if there's six of us <laughs> at a meeting or something, I, I, I guess... Is that the hope is that each person would speak roughly a sixth or 16 ish percent of the time. And that is associated with there, there being psychological safety because folks don't feel the need to either retreat or dominate and are aware and care about what's going on here. Exactly. Yeah. You want to speak equal amounts and certainly there's going to be more introverted folks that aren't going to want to do that, but it's up to the team or specifically again, the leader to create other opportunities where those introverts can still feel like their voice is being heard or they have equal opportunity to uh, express their thoughts, ideas, et cetera. So yeah, that's it exactly. And the other thing that's important, you know, if you're a leader inside of an organization is to be speaking last, right? Too often the, the clients that we work with and the leaders that we come in conversation with, they get excited about their ideas. They come to the table and they, they want to, you know, post the vision and then, you know, ask questions at the end, right? Or get the, get the ideas from the team at the end. And that's too late because you've already projected what you're thinking and the rest of the team's going to fall in line and you've wasted that opportunity for those proportional conversations to be had and for other people to bring their bright ideas to the table. So speak last, right, is, is really important for leaders, uh, again, to create those, that space for proportional conversations to occur. And while we're talking about leaders and you mentioned orchestrating, <laughs> I just sort of literally imagined a conductor of an orchestra. There you go. I imagine, you, you, I want to hear some maybe scripts or verbiage from you because I imagine you don't want to say, okay, we've heard enough from you, Ryan. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that doesn't feel good at all. So any key uh, uh, suggestions to try to get that proportionality if you are orchestrating or leading that meeting? Yeah, I think at times it's it's, you, know, you never want to shut down an idea because someone might have something similar, but it could lead to the next big thing or the next the breakthrough that you're looking for. So keeping your responses neutral as a leader, right? Like that's an interesting perspective. Thanks for sharing, right? You don't have to tilt your hand as far that's as certainly an idea. <laughs> <laughs> that is something. 
you know, or, 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 you know, spending time on the front end too and creating that agenda and, and kind of creating the time slots for folks to, to speak, kind of assigning it essentially. Or the other thing too, if you have a hybrid team, right, is assigning different folks to run the meeting, right? That's another opportunity to where folks can, that might not be as likely to participate. They can be the ones that actually kind of orchestrate the meeting. And then, you know, there's another tactic that's used in negotiation that if you say the, the last three words of someone's statement. Last three words of someone's statement. Exactly. There you go. Yep. Then the other person is likely to keep expanding on their thoughts. Keep expanding? Yep. Keep talking more and more like what's happening just right here. And so for someone that's a little bit more reserved or quiet, that might be a good tactic to, to draw a little bit more out of those folks draw as well. Draw more out of those folks as well. <laughs> that is a fun one. I think Chris Voss mentioned that on the show, who is, who's awesome. And, and it really does work. It's like, <laughs> if you're not too overt, it's like, okay, what you're being weird, cut it out. <laughs> like within reason and, and normal conversationally. Okay. So, well, that's great. So now you, we got a four-step less lonely framework. We've gotten into a little bit. Can we, we want to make sure we get a little bit of a, an outline overview of it? Yeah. So we, we covered those first two. The third is to, this idea of narrowing the focus. So it's really trying to put your attention on really what matters. And, and for that section, we studied astronauts because uh, those are the folks that are operating the most secluded parts of the universe. Uh -huh. And so it was really fascinating to figure out how, how does someone 250 miles away that only interacts with 11 people for an entire year, how do they keep loneliness at bay and how do they make sure that they sustain healthy mental health. And so they do some really interesting things. A lot of it's around focus and clarity. And then the fourth and final step in the framework is a circle. So the fourth, fourth and final step is to kindle. So you just, it's a momentum, right? That you get some, this traction going and you got to keep it going. And we relate human well-being to a battery in the book, right? We don't charge up once and we're, you know, fully charged forever. Same thing with our connections. We don't connect once with someone or a team member and then are fully charged and don't need to connect ever again. It's a constant thing that we have to, to maintain and stick with. And we all know that to be true, right? I mean, we can't just make a friend in an hour and then call on them two years from now. If we want healthy relationships, we have to tend to them and we have to be consistent about it. Mm -hmm. Well, so I must ask more about these astronauts. <laughs> sure. what, are they, what are they doing with regard to combating loneliness? Yeah, we've specifically looked at Christina Koch. She, so she's the female astronaut that spent the most continuous time in space. And for her, it's all about regimentation. So she has a very detailed outline of her day. And so she knows exactly what she's doing on a daily basis. I mean, astronauts, they have their days incremented down into five-minute increments. So it's pretty extraordinary. But the other thing is, is big picture, right? They know the big picture and they're doing important work. So they feel very connected to that. And so that's really important for folks as well. And one of the strategies that we share is this idea of, this is specifically for leaders, but I think there's a lot of parallels for, for non-leaders. Um, and that is to lead with context, not control, right? So how do you, how do you start painting the bigger picture for folks? Because so much of what can drive loneliness is this absence of purpose, right? We don't feel connected to something bigger than ourselves. So how do we start connecting ourselves to this, this bigger meaning? And of course, it's, that seems pretty easy for astronauts because they're doing some really extraordinary work and they feel connected to humanity in a much different way when they're up there. They've always said that, right? That they can see the globe and it just gives them different perspective. 
But for us down here on earth, we have to work at this. And if you're a leader, it's really on you to start creating more of that context and that bigger picture and constantly being the chief reminding officer of your team of what you're doing and how each person's role and their activities are connected to that bigger picture. So giving them that context for them to then act with autonomy and not so micromanage with just control. Mm-hmm. And, and how does the regimenting of the day help with loneliness exactly? I got you on the connection and the purpose and the mission vision and and what you're doing and how that's serving a bigger thing. And so I guess I, I'm thinking back to the workaholism piece that we discussed, like in a way that could be a, a warning sign, like, oh, you're, you're doing too much. You're like avoiding things. So, so how's the regimentation helping exactly? Yeah, it's really around clarity, I would say. You know, and think about clarity from the standpoint of you know, clarity and direction. If you don't have clarity and direction, when you're going somewhere, you'll end up being lost. And what happens when you're lost? You end up becoming alone and it's frightening. <laughs> so it's this idea of having clarity and direction so you can put your mind to it and you know exactly what needs to be done that day. And you're right, you can totally plan or overwork yourself, but astronauts also have a really good balance of knowing, planning in their exercise and their sleep. And their, uh, they also have psychologists that they connect with on a routine basis too, to make sure that they're maintaining their mental health. One other thing that I think might be helpful, Pete, is this idea of around learning as well. Chris Hadfield uh, is another astronaut, Canadian astronaut, and he's famous for doing the space odyssey. You remember that? Have you seen that YouTube video? Don't remember. He had a guitar and he lip synced to Space Odyssey. He had different environments that he did. It. Look it up on YouTube. It, it got tons of views and it was it's really well done. It's really cool. But one of the ways he lessened loneliness in extreme isolation was through learning. So learning starves loneliness. And so he was one that would always try to, to, to keep his mind active and to try things. It's kind of the same idea of you can't be angry and grateful at the same time. We can't experience those two emotions. So the other idea is, you know, if you're fully involved and interested in learning something, you're not thinking about, woe is me, I'm so isolated uh, up here in space. And so Chris would, would go around and he called the International Space Station this old attic. And so he actually found this old Japanese bell and he became fascinated with um, how the sound would travel through the International Space Station. And then, of course, he was doing all kinds of other videos like the Space Odyssey on YouTube, just to keep himself you know, occupied and learning as he was up there to kind of keep feelings of loneliness at bay. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, before we hear about some of your favorite things, I'd love it if you could give us just one or two or three immediate tactics or some do's and don'ts. Like what's some things we can do right now to decrease loneliness? And what are some things we should uh, not do <laughs> right now if we want to keep this... Uh, fostering belonging going on. Yeah, I think what you don't want to do is beat yourself up. Loneliness isn't shameful. It's a signal. We all experience it and it's useful. It, it's a signifier. It's our biological cue that we belong together. So don't beat yourself up for it. Use it as as a reminder that, hey, I, should, I need to go build a connection or I need to start turning my attention outside myself. Something to do would be one of my favorite activities for individuals is to identify the beneficiaries of your labor. That kind of connects with purpose, right? So they've done study after study after study, and they find that no matter what industry or line of work you're in, if you can connect with the person that benefits from your work, for example, cooks are actually perform better when they can actually see the people that they're cooking for. So if we can get a better picture of the people that are work you know, the people that are benefiting from our work, 
uh, straighter the line we can draw from our work to those people and connect those two, we'll see greater purpose and we'll start to see loneliness lessened as well because, again, we've, we've established that connection. So that would be one don't and do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I do that as well, which is why I have some cool software that will just sort of turn on the the smartphone cameras of my podcast listeners, so I could just sort of watch them and spy on them in the middle of their day, <laughs> and and it really helps keep me feel connected and motivated. Yeah, I'm sure. Just kidding, just sure. kidding. I hope that's impossible, <laughs> and even if it is, I haven't done it. <laughs> okay, so so do's and don'ts. Beautiful. Any any final thoughts when it comes to loneliness before we? Hear about some of your favorite things? You know, one of my uh, favorite quotes when it comes to, to loneliness is by the late Robin Williams, the comedian and actor. And he said this, I think it's really, it's really powerful. He said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. So whether ourselves are experiencing loneliness or we know people around us are experiencing loneliness, I think a universal a relationship law for all of us is to never make someone feel alone, especially when they're with us or they're with you. And so the research is clear that loneliness was growing before the pandemic. The pandemic put a spotlight on it and it accelerated it. But because it's increasing also means it it's malleable, so it can decrease. And so it's up to all of us to start engaging in with this. So again, never make someone feel alone, especially when you're with them. Uh-huh. Beautiful. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of my favorite quotes is by Dorothy Parker, who said, I hate writing. I love having written. (laughs) And that, of course, that's been on my brain ever since I learned about that quote. And as a writer of three books, I can relate. The process is grueling, but the end result is fueling. And I always am so excited to have written, even though the process of writing can be so uh, challenging. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure many people can relate, right? The process might be really tough and aggravating. Uh, that end result can often make it all worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And a particularly favorite study or experiment or bit of research? There was uh, some really interesting research, social psychology research done that uh, proved that people who have time constraints are severely less likely to engage with others by a big, big percentage and that really stood out to me because all of us are tend to be busier and busier than ever before, right? We constantly keep putting more and more on our to-do lists and plates are overflowing. And we've got to be cognizant of that because the more busy we are, the less margin we have, the less likely we're going to show up and connect with others. And so subtle remind there, even for myself, to really be thinking about that margin is where we create some meaningful connections. So make sure that we're prioritizing margin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's powerful. And I, I felt it even in myself. It's just like, oh, I should give so-and-so a call. It's like, oh, but I only have eight minutes, you know, and that might be kind of lame. <laughs> and like, hey, I had some time. How about you entertain me on my schedule? And then I'm going right. to peace out. So, I mean, I, I guess there's some validity to say like how that might feel to someone. But at the same time, it's like, well, maybe schedule some time <laughs> when you have some time. Or And sometimes uh, my buddy Connor and I, we, uh, we just have an understanding that we might do a quick check-in call. And that's just what's happening. Like that's normative. A a six minute call might be like, okay, cool. And now I know what's going on. This was fun. Thank you. Good day. (laughs) Those are great examples, Pete. I'm right there with you. Uh, Thomas Friedman wrote a book 
it's been years now, but he titled his book, Thank You for Being Late. And the reason he uh, came up with that title for the book is because he was at an important meeting at one point in a, in a busy coffee shop and the person was late. But when the person showed up, they're like, so, I'm so sorry I'm late. He was actually, he said, thank you for being late because since you were late, I got to eavesdrop on that couple's conversation. I got to connect a couple thoughts that I had and, and, you know, just kind of take in my surroundings. And so, you know, one way to, for us to connect with others, even though we might be busier than ever before, is just show up early, right? For mm. things and just kind of be there to whatever connections might come your way. All right. And a favorite book? I'm a big Seth Godin fan. And so anything he writes, I, I just eat up. I just love how just simple he is, yet profound at the same time. And so I'll say anything by Seth Godin. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I use Evernote consistently to dump any ideas I have for books and ideas. And so that's probably the one I'm using the most. I also use Asana to track all of my to-do lists and to make sure nothing's going through the cracks. And then the third tool I'll, I'll, I'll give folks, this is probably the, the most groundbreaking tool and the one I, I think I can not live without, and that's Boomerang, which is a Gmail plugin that allows you to boomerang emails back to your inbox that folks haven't responded to. So that way you can make sure you keep track of, of folks that you're trying to connect with. Mm-hmm. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to resonate with folks? They Kindle book highlight it. They, they tweet it back at you a lot. A Ryan Jenkins original quotable gem. You know, they, they say that authors write the books that they need to read themselves. I'm an introvert. My co-author is an extrovert. So we've had some good perspective in there. But the thing that I learned the most throughout this process is this. Meaningful connections don't have to be lasting. And that's something I always fell prey to that, you know, if this person's not going to be a, an integral part of my life, I'm not going to take the time to invest in this relationship or this connection. And that's just false. And so now, whether it's my barista or someone in the elevator that I share or someone that's walking by, like I've tried to do my best to connect and simply just ask folks how their day is going or something else. Cause it only takes about 40 seconds to actually lessen loneliness. And again, meaningful connections don't have to be lasting. They're all around us and we should invest when we can. 40 seconds. Oh, good to know. <laughs> I love a number. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point us? Yeah, go to lesslonely.com. That's kind of the one-stop shop for the book. We've got assessments and a digital course. So that would be the best stop. Check us out on social. We're very active, even on TikTok, at Ryan and Steven. And then finally, we also have a podcast called The Case for Connection, The Case for Connection, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we that's where we unpack the research even further. And we have a lot of fun doing it. It's so my co-author and I just having uh, some deep conversations around connection. So lesslonely.com, at Ryan and Steven, or The Case for Connection podcast. Mm-hmm. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? If you want to be awesome at your job, uh, take connections seriously. Do not underestimate the power of human connection. All right, Ryan, this has been a treat. I wish you much good belonging and connection. Thank you, Pete. Thanks, everyone. I love Ryan's perspective that it only takes 40 seconds to reduce loneliness. What are the little things 
that can make a big impact in terms of connection. And I really dig the notion of connecting to your work and how it's affecting real people, the beneficiaries, not just your kids or whomever or is benefiting from your money, although that's awesome too. Go ahead and put those in there. But uh, some cool studies associated with just having photographs of the people that you're serving in the workplace gives a boost to some of that good stuff. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP751. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.